Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you all again, even if it's uh, under these challenging circumstances with masks. And hi to everyone who's watching online as well. Uh, on Mother's Day, it's always nice if the preacher can find some connection with the message to the significant day like Mother's Day. Well, I tried, but I just couldn't find anything, okay? So I'm not going to try some lame connection that you just go, really? So I'm not going to go there, but I am going to pray for our for mums and for our message today. So won't you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing mothers, grandmothers, and even great-grandmothers that you have blessed us with. We thank you also for those loving women who may not have a blood connection to us, but have been spiritual mums, loving us, caring for us, praying for us. Give them all a wonderful day today. And we look at and as we look at today's passage on the work of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us soft hearts and open ears, that your word would challenge us, encourage us, and draw us closer to you. Amen. Well, have you ever wanted something really badly, but it just didn't work out? It may have been that dream job, or maybe the dream house, or maybe that relationship that you thought was going to be that forever together one. So you're filled with sadness, disappointment, even a sense of grief as you think of what's been lost or what could have been. And if we know someone in that situation, we want to comfort and support them, don't we? Now, I'm a bumbling, stumbling male who always feels awkward in like kind of those emotional situations. But if I was trying to comfort someone in that situation, I might say, don't be sad. This obviously was not the right job or house or person for you. And I'm sure God has got something even better planned for you. Well, that's nice. But I know um, those, to those who are feeling that disappointment, it's hard to look forward with any positivity in that situation. Now, this is exactly how the disciples were feeling at the start of today's passage. Jesus is leaving us. All our hopes and dreams are shattered. Just four days ago, he rode into Jerusalem in triumph. Isn't he the promised Messiah that's going to overthrow the Romans and give back to God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, as promised? No wonder the disciples were confused, disappointed, and filled with grief. Now, today's passage from John 16 comes in the middle of what's known as the Upper Room Discourse. And it's set in the room where Jesus and the disciples have shared the Last Supper on the evening before Jesus' crucifixion. And in the Upper Room Discourse, John goes into great detail retelling what Jesus is teaching the disciples. It's actually five chapters long. It covers everything from John 13 to John 17. And if you have one of those Bibles uh, where the words of Jesus are in red, these five chapters are a sea of red. Jesus is doing a lot of talking. So I guess that's pretty important stuff, right? So I encourage you to have your Bibles open uh, because we're going to move around those five chapters as we centre on today's passage. So we see in John 16, the mood is sombre. The disciples are realising that Jesus will not be with them for much longer. In verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief, 
because I have said these things. Now, Jesus has already told the disciples several times throughout John that they can't go with him to where he is going. But they're filled with grief, not so much for Jesus, but more for their own self-interest. Because this wasn't the plan that they'd signed up for. Sadly, even after three years of living and learning beside Jesus, the disciples were still clueless about the true mission of Jesus. He's not interested in their earthly plans, but follows the eternal plans of God. And thankfully for the disciples and for us, God's plan is way better. And Jesus reminds us of this in verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had to go to complete his mission. He had to die and to rise again to show that he had defeated sin and death. That was his mission. He then ascended to heaven and now sits at the, his rightful place on the, right, on the right hand of God because the job's done. Mission accomplished. But he doesn't abandon us. He loves us way too much for that. So he promises to send his Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, 26, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The disciples didn't understand that because Jesus came in the physical form of a man, the only people who had access to him lived in the regions where Jesus was and lived at the time when Jesus walked on the earth. But now, through the Holy Spirit, Every believer has access to him, every moment of every day. No wonder Jesus says that it was for your good that I'm going away. Then Jesus talks about the purposes of the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, the Holy Spirit is described in a number of ways. Some of those descriptions are spirit of truth, helper, comforter, intercessor, strengthener, Redeemer. But there's other descriptions that sound like they belong more in a courtroom. Counselor, advocate, defender. Verse 8 says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness and judgment. Why does Jesus use these three terms when describing the purposes of the Holy Spirit? Well, we've already heard that the Holy Spirit is also known as the spirit of truth. And sin, well, that's the truth about humanity. Righteousness, that's the truth about God. And judgment, well, that's the consequences of these two truths. And for the purpose of this message, I'm actually going to pref uh, I actually prefer the New Living Translation of John 16, 8. And that says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Because in a courtroom sense, when we're convicted, it means we've been found guilty. To help us understand this passage, I need your help, and I need you to use your imaginations. Okay? Now, if you're a believer, I want you to think back to the time when you were looking at your life 
and making that decision to follow Jesus. Now, if you're not yet a, if you're not yet a Christian, I do want you to listen carefully to see if the Holy Spirit has something to say to you this morning. All right, so let's imagine we're in a courtroom and you're the one on trial. What's the Holy, what's the Holy Spirit convicting us of? Well, Jesus says in verse 9 that he's convicting us about sin because people do not believe in me. Now, Jesus is not talking about believing whether he exists or not. Most people admit that Jesus existed. And many people would say that Jesus was the Son of God. They're totally okay with that. But the Bible says that the demons believe that too and shudder. They know all too well the amazing power of the one true God. But what the Holy Spirit convicts us of is, despite being designed and created by God, despite everything that we have coming from him, despite the fact that he offers and desires a close loving relationship with him as the all-powerful creator, we reject him. Because if we really believe that, we'd accept him with open arms. But we want to do it our way not his way. So in the courtroom, we are asked to stand and the charges are read out. You are accused of living a life in rebellion to God. How do you plead? Well, in our rebellion, we always try to justify ourselves, don't we? So we declare, not guilty. And we start to formulate a plan to defend ourselves. Now, I'm sure you've heard the story where an accused man informed the judge that he himself was going to represent himself rather than obtain legal counsel. To which the judge replies, ah, the man that defends himself has a fool for a lawyer. And this is never so true that when you attempt to defend yourself in a case, you cannot win. Nevertheless, we do try and start defending ourselves, letting everyone know of our positive character traits, the good deeds that we've done, Maybe we get someone with influence to write us a character reference. Then we close by saying, see, I don't deserve judgment. God should be happy with me. And we sit down feeling that we've done a reasonable job stating our case. And that's where the Holy Spirit steps up in the role of prosecutor and makes us very aware of our sin and its consequences. In contrast to our attempts to make ourselves sound good, Imagine if character references were read out, written by the people we had hurt in our lives, painting a very different picture to the one we've tried to create. Imagine if the prosecutor began running video footage of all the thoughts and actions that we desperately try to keep hidden. When we can't take it anymore, we stand up and shout, Objection, Your Honour! On what grounds? Nobody's perfect. Really? Actually, someone is perfect. Jesus says in verse 10 that the Holy Spirit can convict us about our so-called righteousness because Jesus is going back to the Father. God, in his perfection, is accepting Jesus to return to him because Jesus alone is sinless. He alone meets the criteria for acceptance by the Father. No matter how hard we try, we fall short. 
And if we think we'll be able to find some kind of loophole somewhere to avoid judgment, think again. Because Jesus tells us in verse 11 that because he is fulfilling God's mission for him, now Satan faces judgment. Not even Satan, with all his cunning, guile and trickery and supernatural power, can overcome God's wrath. So what chance do we have? The evidence is in. The verdict, guilty. The sentence, death. We have received the judgment we deserve. We're about to be led away to face our fate. When suddenly the prosecutor calls out, wait, there's some fresh evidence. And amazingly, the prosecutor, who has just convicted us of our sin and lack of righteousness, changes roles and begins to defend us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is also known as counsellor, advocate, defender. And that's where the gospel, the good news, kicks in. So why do we have to go through such a painful process? Well, it's because before we hear the good news, we need to hear the bad news. And the bad news is, in ourselves, we are totally without help, without hope. If we're planning to enter the presence of God, we need to possess the righteousness that Jesus possessed. But when you truly believe in Jesus, inviting him and accepting him as the Lord of your life, he gives us his righteousness. And he can give his righteousness because when he died on the cross, he took our sinfulness. And that's very good news. In today's passage, the disciples didn't want Jesus to go. They didn't understand God's mission for him. Thankfully, Jesus did die on the cross. He rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits in his rightful place in heaven. And we read in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus' promise about the coming of the Holy Spirit comes true at Pentecost. The believers are praying together when they are miraculously filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, they are completely changed. There's a crowd outside and Peter addresses them. Now this is the same Peter who was a fisherman, hot-headed, impetuous, known for shooting his mouth off with kind of embarrassing consequences. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks as if he's the greatest barrister in the land, making the case for Jesus. Through Peter, the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. And in Acts 2.37, it says that people are cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? Peter tells them to repent. And 3,000 people accept Jesus on that day. If you're a Christian, that's the same, same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Jesus has given us this gift that works through us with miraculous power to share the good news with others. Kind of a shame to waste it, don't you think? I mentioned before that Peter instructed the people to repent. For the Christians here today who've been recalling the, your, con, your conversion story, you'll know how essential repentance is to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. Now, repentance is just a fancy, repentance is just a fancy word explaining that we've accepted the fact 
that we have lived in rejection to God, that we need to say sorry for living in rebellion, and that we need to ask for forgiveness. Now, for those who are not yet Christians, either here or online, it's a step that we must all take if we are truly desiring to accept Jesus. It can be a silent prayer in your head or said aloud with a friend guiding you. But if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take that step this morning, can I encourage you to jump in because it's the best decision you'll ever make. Today, we're reminded that there is nothing we can do to gain our salvation. It's purely through the grace and mercy of Jesus, through his death on the cross. We also can't convince others to accept Jesus by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to instigate that miraculous change of heart. That's kind of liberating, don't you think? Thankfully, it's not about us. And we have that power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us every moment of every day. And that's good news.